Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Romans chapter 5, beginning verse number 6. When you have it, won't you say, I've got it. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would even dare to die. Here it is. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. Somebody say saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Amen. For the sake of emphasis, I'll read again verse number 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, just as I am. Amen. Just as I am. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I am. Many of us know what it feels like to be caught up chasing and working, looking for the approval of other people. Many of us would identify, if we'd be honest, that we found ourselves needing affirmation and wanting acceptance, wanting to be loved and accepted by somebody. And because that is a real need, it's a real thing, and you shouldn't feel crazy for wanting and desiring that thing, uh, oftentimes we find ourselves tired and frustrated because instead of living our lives, we've turned our lives into a pursuit of affirmation of people who can't really give us what we need in the first place. And the reason why we find ourselves tired is because we have to try to appear perfect. We have to try to appear as if we have it all together because we live in a culture that has taught us that in order to be accepted, you have to be attractive first. Yeah, if I'm going to be accepted, then I've got to be attractive. If I'm going to be brought in, then I've got to bring something with me to the table. And so many of us find ourselves wrapped up in the pursuit of trying to present ourselves as something attractive. When in actuality, we have issues on the inside that we're trying to camouflage because we don't want people to see how truly messed up we are. And the reality of our lives, beloved, is simply this. Although we feign and fake as if we are perfect and if we have it all together, the truth is many of us have issues that if people could follow us home from the sanctuary, they wouldn't want to sit by us in church. We have arguments with our spouses. We have interactions with our coworkers. We have relationships with our children that are less than desirable, less than model and exemplary. And the truth of the matter is simply this. We spend so much of our lives trying to hide it because it's hard to find Find someone who will accept you just the way you are. It's hard to find somebody that will look at you and see the flaw of you and still see that you're valuable. It's hard to find people that will take you in when everyone else has cast you out. It's hard to find somebody who will love you and accept you after they find out what you did last summer or what you did last week or what you did last night or the issues that you have in your past. It's hard to find people who will take you just the way you are. And many of us here on an Easter Sunday morning, although we put on our Easter clothes and came to church, God our families together some of us even arrived on time but the truth of the matter is if we could have stayed in bed we would have because it's hard trying to put on a face and front in front of people who you know wouldn't love you if they found out who the real you was and what do you do when you're living in a culture that demands perfection from imperfect people what do you do when you're told that you've got to be presentable when really you just want to let your hair down and let everybody know that you're hurting what do you do 
when the pain is too much to bear, but you're so busy trying to hide it that you can't heal from it. And you do stupid things like get into relationships and spend money you don't have to try to anesthetize the pain of your existence to make the hurting stop. How do you handle it when people can't take you the way that you are? Puts you in a predicament where you're trying to figure out where to go. Who do I turn to? Who do I tell my secrets to? Can I confide in anybody? Because if they find out how messed up my life really is, will they really accept me? And beloved, I, I hate to break the news to you. People do not have the capacity to take you as you are. Because in order to take you as you are, they have to accept that you might remain the way that you are. But only people, uh, people only accept you if they'll uh, if you'll allow them to try and change you. Yeah, if you'll allow them to try and fix you. People will take you with your issues and make you a project. But the problem is when people make you a project, when you get better, they want to keep you in that place of bondage where they found you. Yeah, they, they don't want to let you get up after you've been down and they found you down. They want to keep you where you are based on your issues. They want to try to define your future based on the mistakes of your past. But even though we have people in our lives who will not and do not accept us the way we are, beloved, the beauty of our lives on an Easter Sunday morning is simply this. When people will not accept us because of our flaws and our faults and our failures, we serve a God who loves us enough to take us just the way we are. Okay, you missed your shouting point. The Bible teaches us that the hope of the gospel, that the truth of Easter, that the heavenly hope of the believer is simply this. When we were dirty and down and in need of a savior, God looked down and saw how messed up we were and instead of leaving us there to get ourselves together, he died. He sent his son to die on our behalf before we could do something that was worth it. Before we could fix ourselves. While we were still in our mess, Christ died, not for the good, oh, but for the ungodly. He, the, the text says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And if you belong to God, if you're here in the building, rather, no matter where you are on your journey with Jesus, that's good news for you, that you serve a God that will accept you just as you are. No matter where you are in your faith walk, that, that's good news. If you're lost and you don't know God or you're not as close to God as you would like to be, that's good news for you because that means you can stop chasing the affirmation of people that will never accept you and realize that you're wanted and desired and loved by a God who will take you just the way you are. I know people want to make you feel like you've got to get clean before you come to God, but if you could clean yourself, he wouldn't have had to kill his son so you could go to heaven. If you could fix yourself, he wouldn't have had to send Jesus to die on your behalf. And God says, if you want to know me, then come to me. All ye who are laboring and are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you rest from the pursuit of trying to please people. I'm going to give you rest from your uh, constant struggle to try to make people think you're better than you really are. If you come to God, God says, I'll give you rest. But if you're not lost and you're a believer today, that's also good news for you. Because even as believers, we often misappropriate uh, our attention and find ourselves vying for the attention and affection of people. Yeah, we, we want to, we, we're saved, we're sanctified, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, but every now and then we find ourselves needing and wanting affirmation. We want to be wanted. At worst, we need to be needed. And God said you can be delivered from that if you realize that you're already not wanted, not needed, but embraced and accepted by God already. God, help me. That means that your value, beloved, is not based on what you do, but your value is based upon who you belong to. God, help me. Uh, because I belong to God. I'm already valuable. And some of us need to stop waiting to shout over cars and clothes and money and new jobs and houses and land and all this other crazy stuff that you can get if you just work hard and learn how to shout over the fact that you belong to God. God, help me. Yeah, see, you can't shout over that if you really don't belong to him because if you belong to him, then he's protected you. If you belong to him, he's provided for you. If you belong to him, he's given you peace in the midnight hour when you thought you weren't going to be able to make it. And somebody ought to be able to shout on an Easter because I'm he is God help me yeah I, I belong to God I, I don't belong to the streets I don't belong to my past I don't even belong to my fraternity or my sorority or to my friendship circle I, I belong to God and because I belong to God I'll always have something to shout about because I'm his and he doesn't change 
So then Easter, beloved, is the celebration of the fact that when we were at our lowest point, God didn't wait for us to get it together. Didn't wait for you to get right. God didn't wait for you to do it on your own, but he recognized that you have an inability to save and deliver yourself. And he decided to send Jesus to set you free. And he paid the price for your freedom with his own blood. And whether you know it or not, beloved, this is the point that Paul is making in this particular passage of scripture. Paul wants this young church at Rome, this church full of misfits in the capital of the Roman Empire to know that salvation from sin and from sin's penalty comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yeah, yeah, that, that when we were in trouble, there was nothing that we could do about it. But instead of allowing us to have to face sin's punishment, which was death and eternal separation from God, God decided to save us. But he didn't wait until we exhibited behavior, beloved, that was worth saving. But God saw us in our sin, and instead of waiting for us to get it right, he looked past all of our flaws and took us just as we were. And if you're here on Easter, you've got two reasons to praise God. Number one, you ought to praise God because when you were messed up, God took you just as you were. God, help me. Yeah, if you don't have a past, you can't shout about that. If, you, if you've never done anything wrong, you can't get excited about that. If you don't have any skeletons in your closet or some exes that you're ashamed of or a baby's mama or a baby daddy that you wish you'd never met, you can't shout about that. But if you're like me and you got some dirt in your, under your rug, yeah, if you're like me and you got some dust under your prayer rug, God help me, uh, then every now and then you've got to shout because when you were messed up, God didn't wait for you to get it together. He took you just as you were. God help me. And is there anybody here who's glad that when you look back over your life, you understand that God shouldn't have wanted you. He shouldn't have loved you. He shouldn't have looked for you. He shouldn't have set his affection upon you. But for some reason, he thought you were worth saving and he looked beyond where you were and saw you where he wanted you to be and he took you. Just as you were. Yeah, you should be able to shout because he took you just as you were. I wish y'all helped me preach this morning. But then number two, uh, you should also shout on an Easter. Because when you, not only did he take you as you were, when you were messed up. But when you mess up today, he still takes you. Just as you are. Okay. Uh, I'm talking to perfect people. I'm talking to folk. Uh, your name is Jesus Jr. And you glow in the dark and walk on water. And you don't make any mistakes. As, as a matter of fact, since you've been on this side of salvation, uh, you're like some people I know that don't do anything wrong. Don't make any mistakes. They live holy all the time. Their Holy Ghost is always on. Uh, never has off switch. Uh, you never cuss anybody out when you're on I-10 in traffic. When you're on I-95 headed south uh, in the morning, you late for work. Uh, you don't do anything like that. But if you're like me and you have those kinds of issues, I'm not only glad that God Marquita took me how I was. I'm glad that every day when I wake up messed up like I am, he takes me. God help me. I feel like preaching already. He takes me as I am. And you ought to shout that he's not just, he didn't just save you, but you are being saved. The Bible says, I know you think I'm making that up, but the Bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but not to us who are saved. It says to those of us who are what? being saved. God help me. God not just saves me from the penalty of sin, but through sanctification every single day, he saves me from the power of sin. And then when I get to heaven, I'll be saved ultimately from the presence of sin. But while I'm down here in sin's presence, fighting against sin's power, I'll make mistakes. God help me. But he'll lift me up from where I am, dust me off, and tell me I can do it again. I know y'all thinking I'm sitting up here, standing up here behind this pulpit with this red shirt and this collar on because I deserve it. But I mess up every day. I say things to my wife I shouldn't say. I'm harder on my son than I should be. Can I be honest with y'all? I'm harder on my daughter sometimes than I should be. I don't always respect my mother and father like I should because I'm grown and I think I could do what I want. But when I do things that God hates, God doesn't hate me. He deals with me at the point of my sin, lifts me up, dusts me off, and says I can be used again. Yeah. He takes me. At this moment, just as I am. So then Paul says, I want you to understand on the Easter that you are here because God took you just as you are. You have been accepted by a holy God. You have been embraced by the creator of creation. You have been loved, God help me, by the one who holds the universe. You've been accepted by God. There are three things. There are three things that are beautiful 
about the acceptance of God. I'm going to give those to you, and then I'll be done with my Easter, Easter speech. Is that cool? Uh, the first thing that's beautiful about the acceptance of God is, number one, God accepts me, hear me, even though he knows how weak I am. God accepts me, even though he knows how weak I am. Verse 6, I'm in the Bible. It says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Oh, you missed it because if you had read it right, you would have shouted. I wouldn't even have to exegete it, Stanley. If you read it right, it'll preach itself. It says, for while we were still helpless, God helped me. At the right time, God helped me. Christ died for the ungodly. Let me read it one more time. It says, while we were still helpless, at the right time. Okay, <laughs> uh, let me help you. Can I help you? Um, uh, it says, while we were still helpless, and the next word it says, at the right time. Okay, I want you to read it, okay? But this time when you read it, don't say at. Just read it. It says, for while we were still helpless, the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I wish you'd get it. Let me help you. Come here, I'm going to come get you. Uh, the right time for Christ to do it was when I recognized that I couldn't do it by myself. God, help me. Uh, God doesn't save us when we try to save ourselves. He saves us when we realize that we cannot save ourselves. So the text says that while we were helpless, that was the right time for Christ to die for the ungodly. Can I tell you why it feels like God is allowing your life to fall apart and like it feels like you can't hold it together and why you feel like you're about to lose your mind every other day and you feel like you're about to have a nervous breakdown every other hour? It's because God isn't trying to kill you. He's trying to bring you to an end of yourself so that you can recognize that your only hope of survival and salvation is in him. I can't do this job by myself. I can't stay married by myself. I can't raise these children by myself. I can't get this degree by myself. I can't pay these bills by myself. But when I realize that, look at somebody and say, that's the right time. Uh, because when you get to the right time, he'll come in and save you. He says, I'm saving you even though I know how weak you are. Oh God. And the recognition of my weakness was the right time for Christ to die. Not for the righteous, God help me here, uh, but for the ungodly. It's for all you people who think you're perfect, who think you're better than you really are. If you can't acknowledge that you're ungodly, then that means that Christ didn't die for you. Yeah. If you think that you helped Jesus by living right, that means he didn't die for you. If you think that you helped God uh, by stopping cussing and stopping going to the club and I stopped drinking, I cleaned my life up and I paid somebody to fix my credit and that's why God is right with me. No, the devil is a liar. You were helpless. God help me. And once you realize that you couldn't help yourself, then you are allowed then to experience the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Oh God, so God accepts me even though he knows how weak I am. Number two, not only does God accept me even though he knows how weak I am. Number two, God accepts me even though he knows how dirty I am. Verse 6 and 7 together says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. Paul is raising in rhetorical fashion to our awareness that we're not good. He says, you're ungodly, and Christ died for you. And to make you understand it, he said, it's hard for somebody to die for a good person. Think of the best person you know, your favorite celebrity. It's hard to imagine giving up your life for somebody else. Yeah, he, he says, it's hard for you to imagine giving up your life for a good person. He says, then, or for a righteous person, someone who does obeys all the rules. But then he says, for a good man, this is a good man. Anybody know a good man, a good person, got a good friend, a homie, you ride or die, the person that's there for you all the time? He says, even for that person, I might think about it, but I ain't going to do it. <laughs> it it'll cross my mind. Ooh, Jesus. But I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, you a good fella. You know what? 
Brother Herman, you're a good man. Uh, uh, you're a good man, Elder Chambers. And I might think about it. Matter of fact, in, in a fit of passion, if someone came through the door and was trying to shoot it up, I might dive in front of somebody. But if I had a minute to get in my right mind, if you wasn't that, that woman or them light-skinned babies on that second row, you might be shocked. Because it's hard to lay down your life, even for people that you love. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so the Bible says that you weren't righteous, you were not good, you were not worthy, you were filthy. And yet God accepted you. God help me see. I wish you would understand this. We have an elevated opinion of ourselves that prevents us from seeing the beauty of the gospel because we really don't understand how jacked up and how dirty we are. you got to understand that you serve a God. If you read the whole Bible and don't just cheat and start at Matthew, if you read the whole Bible and really learn the character of God and understand that God gets mad over stuff like you coming into worship with a jacked up attitude, like you doing God a favor, or like you saying, uh, I don't want to go to that church as if uh, you got a choice uh, about going to worship the God that gives you breath in your body or about you treating people mean, speaking in tongues but can't talk to folk, uh, praying uh, over the mic, but then you're messy behind closed doors. God used to kill people for that stuff. And those are little things. But imagine how God feels about the stuff we do now. About our communication. About our appetites. About our stewardship. How we spend our money. How we allocate our time. How we spend everything we have. Not just money, but our time, our talent, and our treasure on things that have nothing to do with God, and then we come into the house of God and give God what we have left and not what's best. You are jacked up and you are filthy and you should be dead, but instead of killing you, God loves you. Okay, you don't get it. My son uh, is at a stage in his life uh, where he's causing his mama a lot of grief uh, because uh, he's coming into the realization that he's a boy, and a boy is a little man. And so he thinks that he's a little man. So I see, I see some mamas that's nodding their head. They got witnesses. Uh, uh, so because he thinks he's a little man, he thinks that can't nobody tell him what to do but his father. The problem is the one that did the most work to get him here is his mother. And when, she, when he disrespects her, uh, she want to kill him because she think about how she almost died getting him here. So... I give my wife then liberty to lay hands on her son as often as she would like. And because she is now walking uh, uh, in this new liberty, I try my best to not put my hands on my son as often. Uh, because mother is walking in the newness of liberty to lay hands whenever she desires. Okay? But every now and then, my son will do something that requires correction. And let me tell you how smart my son is. I'm going to tell you. Can I testify? I, I'm testifying. I, my son is smart. And Chris, that's a blessing to me because I thought my son was slow. Anybody? Candace, you've been around Jew his whole life. Jotham, you've been around Jew his whole life. When Jew first came, I thought something was wrong. But Chris, I know my son is smart. The reason I know he's smart is because when my son does something wrong, he will self-correct. I don't even have to say anything to him. He'll do something and see me walking up on him and be like, oop, daddy, I'm sorry. And I won't even realize that he did anything wrong. I'll be like, what happened? Uh, you told me not to touch that, but it's in my hand, but I'm going to put it back right now. <laughs> my son is smart. Pam, he knows when he messes up. So last week we were at football practice, and I'm not just coaching my son. I'm coaching like 10 other kids. I don't know how they got me to do it, but I'm coaching 10 other kids just like him. And because all of them are rowdy and rambunctious and they're young, I can't afford for my baby to be the one out there causing me problems. But today my son was having a day. He was getting on my last nerve and that itch for me to reach for that thing around my waist that can bring all things back to order. I had that urge, and I felt myself reaching for it, and then I was messed up because I had on jogging pants and went one there. 
I'm out here coaching with these sweatpants on, and I'm reaching for my, boy, wait till I get you. Ain't nothing there for me to get in with. So I take that as a sign, Chelsea, that God wants me to teach my son a lesson about mercy. Now, because my son is smart, he knows when I'm reaching like this that something is getting ready to happen. And so I walk towards him, and he's like, Daddy, no, no, Daddy, no, 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 Daddy, no, no. And I take my hand, David, and I reach towards him. And he flinches so hard that he almost falls to the ground. But I catch him before he falls. And instead of whooping him, Elder Chambers, I bring him close to me. And I say, son, I should whoop you. But because I love you, I'm going to give you another chance to get it together. God, help me. You should be beat to death. God, help me. But I'm going to give you another chance at life. God, help me. And God says that's what he does for us when we're dirty. He looks down at us and sees how religious we are. He sees how rebellious we are. He sees how crazy we are. He sees how ungrateful we are. And instead of giving us what we deserve, he pulls us close. God help me. Somebody ought to be able to shout about the fact that God, instead of beating you, he's embracing you. God help me. How do you know he's embracing you? Because he woke you up this morning. God help me. How do you know he's embracing you? Because he started you on your way. God help me. How do you know he's embracing you? Because grandmama said he gave you a reasonable portion of your health and your strength. He's embracing you even though you're dirty. Oh, time is up. I got to quit now. So God accepts me even though he knows how weak I am. God accepts me even though he knows how dirty I am. <laughs> but then thirdly, and I'm through, God accepts me as I am. But his love is too great for him to leave me as I am. I know y'all think I made that up, but I promise I'm in the text. Look at verse 8. He says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. Somebody say saved. Come on, say it like you are saved. Say saved. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul is teaching a principle that we call in theology eternal security. Yeah, Paul, Paul is teaching us that you cannot be saved and then lost again. But if you've ever been saved, you will truly be saved. Well, Bishop, what about people who said that they were saved and then they fell away? If you ever were saved, then at the end you will be saved. I know you don't get it, uh, but my little sister was emotional. My little sister, when we were growing up, was emotional, Chris. And one day she got a whooping. I know y'all don't do that to y'all kids anymore nowadays, but, but back then when we were growing up, we got whoopings. And my sister Bethany got a whooping and she couldn't handle it. And so she says, Stephanie, I'm running away from home. But instead of actually leaving the property, she took a tent and went out in the backyard as far as she could see in the backyard. And she declared, I'm tired of daddy. He treated me bad. I'm leaving the house. But what she didn't understand is, Cedric, even though she had left the house, she was still on the property. God help me. Yeah, yeah. Even though she was not in the building, God help me, COVID-19, uh, she was still on her father's land. And she might have thought she was moving, but she was still in the father's house. And that's what Paul wants you to understand. You cannot walk away from God. God says, when you think you're walking away, grandmama will say, he's so high, you can't get over him. God, help me. He's so wide, you can't get around him. He's so low, you can't get, get under him. God says, you'll find, he'll find you wherever you are. Paul wants you to understand that if God saved you when you were nasty, if you get dirty again once you are saved, it's nothing for him to clean you up again. Because he already did the hard work by saving you from sin. That is the point of this particular passage of scripture. That's what Paul is trying to convey to us in this text. He wants you to understand that you can't be lost after God has saved you. Because that means that God is incomplete in his work and God finishes everything that he starts. But not only that, uh, there is also then the principle of transformation. That God does not save you 
for you to stay the same. Well, wait, Bishop, at the beginning of the message, you said it's wrong for people to accept us with the intention to change us. Uh, but God is not a person. As a matter of fact, he makes it clear through Samuel that I'm not a man that I should lie. God is the only being with the capacity to change you. And so when God takes you as you are, he takes you knowing that he doesn't have to leave you as you are. But he has the power to look at you and see the potential in you. And then take that potential and bring it to the surface and make you everything you're supposed to be. Because God's love is the right kind of love. And the right kind of love doesn't just choose you, Jay. The right love will change you. God, help me. Yeah, The right love won't just choose you. God, help me. The right love will change you. As a matter of fact, I know we're not in a relationship series yet, but can I help you? Uh, married folk, you can't change your spouse. Sometimes you just got to love the hell out of them. God, help me. You got to love them until God does their work. You got to love them because if you love them right, it won't just choose them. It'll change them. Some of you are dealing with children that won't change. Oh, God. Uh, sometimes you got to love them because where whoopings won't change them, love might redirect them. God, help me. And you know that from your own life, some things you couldn't get beat out of you. God had to love you until you let it go. Because the right love won't just choose you. Uh, the right love, Mike, it'll change you. Uh, that's the best I got. Um, did, I, didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to close it, but um, I was on the phone uh, with one of my friends, Pastor Johnny Brown out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was talking to him. Chris, I said, uh, Doc, I got to close this message. I don't know how I'm going to close it. I said, Doc, can you help me? Because he's one of the best preachers I know. I said, Doc, can you help me close this message? And he told me a story. He said, uh, man, uh, some years ago, uh, when my dad was buying me a car, he took me to a car lot to get a car. And when we got there, there was this old man there. And this old man walked past all of the new cars to the trade-in. Then when he got to the trade-in side, he walked all the way back, David, past all the trade-ins uh, to this old, beat-up car. He wipes off some dust, finds out that uh, it's a 1974 Pontiac Firebird. Now, that didn't mean anything to me because I don't know anything about cars. Uh, but he says, Doc, stay with me. I'm going to tell you a story. I said, okay, what happened? He asked the dealer. Uh, how much for this old, beat-up, 1974 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am? Uh, and the dealer says, sir, we haven't inspected it. Uh, I really don't know if you should sell it. We just kind of took it as a trade-in. Uh, if I do sell it to you, it'll be as is. The man said, fine, how much does it cost? The man and the dealer told him, uh, I'll give it to you for $2,700 because it doesn't start. Uh, it's beat up. And he says, okay, that's fine. Uh, but before I buy it, can we pop the hood? He pops the hood, looks at the engine, says, okay, I'll take it. Calls the tow truck, has the truck or has the car towed to his house. Okay. Uh, he gets there and he starts working on the car. He starts restoring the car. He's spending all of his time with the car, and he normally spends all his time, Chris, with his grandson. And so when his grandson comes over, Papa don't want to play. He's working on his car in the garage. And so he goes to Papa and says, Papa, I got a question. Why did you buy that beat up, broken down car? He says, Wait a minute, I'm going to show you something. Papa gets in the Trans Am, turns the key, and it starts up. He steps back, looks at it. The car has been completely restored. But instead of driving it, Chris, he does something crazy. He turns the car off, calls the tow truck Cedric to come and get it, and he drives it back to an auto auction. Gets to the auto auction. Now, I told you he paid $2,700 for the 1974 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. Bought it for $2,700. He gets to the auction. Sells the car for $100,000. Yeah, you missed it. Let me say it again. 
He had to repeat it to me because it's not my story. It's my friend's story. He had to repeat. I, I said, what happened? He said he bought the car for $2,700, restored it, took it to an auction, and sold it for $100,000. Now, his grandson is still with him. And he says, now, son, I know you asked me why I bought that car. Even though it was beat up, it barely wanted to start, had cracks on the windshield. Uh, but the reason I bought it is because I knew that even though it was broken on the, ins on the outside, before I drove it off the lot, I asked the dealer to pop the hood. And I saw that it still had what counted on the inside. <laughs> and if the right person got its hand on it, it would be valuable once again. The grandson wasn't easily convinced, so he had some objections. He said, but daddy, it was beat up. He said, I knew I could fix it up. He said, but daddy, it didn't want to start. He said, I knew how to get it started. And his son, his grandson rather, asked him, he said, Granddaddy, Daddy, how were you able to know that you could get it started? And he says, well, years ago, before the Pontiac Company closed down and stopped making cars, before I was a full-time grandpa to you, I actually designed and built cars for the Pontiac Company. So when I saw that car on the lot, because I am the manufacturer or the designer of that vehicle, I knew that it had value in it that people who weren't familiar with the product could not see. God, help me. Oh, oh, God. And because I knew that was in it, what was in it, I was able to look past the dirt that was on it. God, help me. And I knew that I could see the value that was in it. And I, I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody, that's your testimony. You were on the used car lot of life getting passed by. God, help me. Nobody wanted to purchase you, but God looked at you. You were beat up on the outside. You had some cracks on the windshield of your mind, some cracks on the windshield of your past. But God says, I see value in you because I know what's in you. God, help me. I can look past what's on you. And somebody ought to be able to be excited about the fact that you serve a God that is able to look past your flaws, uh, God, and take you just as you are. I'm a music lover, and, and because I'm a music lover, I brought some R&B witnesses with me. These aren't gospel witnesses. These are R&B witnesses because I tried to give y'all gospel witnesses before I started my sermon. Y'all didn't want to shout. So I feel, Tiffany, if I give them R&B witnesses to back up the claim of the text, maybe I can get a shout. So uh, John Legend said, because uh, all of me, God help me, loves all of you, loves your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. John, John Legend said, I, I, I want to take all of you. God help me. Okay, John Legend ain't enough. Well, uh, Bruno Mars said, uh, when I see your face, God help me, there's not a thing that I would change. Because, girl, you're amazing. God help me. Just the way you are. Okay, Bruno Mars can't get it. Uh, uh, John Legend can't get it. Uh, maybe Queen B will help me because B said it this way. I don't know why you love me. God help me. And that's why I love you. God help me. You catch me when I fall. Accept me flaws and all. And that's why I love you. God help me. Okay. Uh, John Legend didn't get it for you. Uh, Bruno Mars didn't shout you. Queen B couldn't get you on your feet. So let me go back to the church. There was an old white lady named Dottie Rambo. Uh, and she wrote a song uh, back in the 80s. She said this, amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought my liberty. God, help me. I do not know. I feel like preaching now. Just how he came to love me so. But he looked beyond my faults and he saw my needs. And so this is what I'm going to do. I shall forever, God, help me, lift mine eyes towards Calvary to view the cross where Jesus died for me. How marvelous, God help me, the grace to catch my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults and he saw my knees. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, the reason why I'm here 
is not because I deserve to be here, but because I serve a God that will take me just as I am. Tell somebody on the other side, say, neighbor, if you're looking for love, there's a God you serve that will take you just the way you are. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I came to tell somebody that I'm glad that he took me just as I am. Come on, Chris. I got another song that says, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Is there anybody here who's glad today on an Easter Sunday morning that he'll take you just the way you are? I'm glad today that I serve a God that will take me just as I am. I know you got to leave your neighbor alone because it's COVID, but do me a favor one more time and look at that neighbor and say, neighbor, I was dirty, but it took me just as I am. I was weak, come on, but he took me just as I am. I was trifling, but it took me just as I am. And is there anybody in the building on an Easter Sunday morning who can testify that the Lord will take you just as you are? You don't have to wait until you get it all together, but the Lord, he'll take you just as you are. I've been sick, church, but I feel all right today. Can I praise him on an Easter Sunday? Will you praise him with me? Because he took you just as you were. Is there anybody here that can give God an Easter praise? Because the Lord, he took you just as you are, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply staying within, I was sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea, he heard my despairing cry, and he didn't wait until I could lift myself. But up from the waters, he lifted me. Now safe am I. Is there anybody here? I said, is there anybody here that knows today that love lifted you? And because he loved you, he took you just the way you were. Is there anybody here who's glad about it that can say, I'm glad that he'll take me just as I am? That felt all right, Chambers. Look at somebody and say, I'm glad that he'll take me just the way I am. You didn't say it right. I said, look at it. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm glad that he'll take me just the way I am. How do I know, Marquita, that he'll take me just the way I am? I know I got this red shirt on and this cross and chain, but I told y'all I'm Baptist, don't you, didn't I? Can I tell you how I know he took me just the way I was? Well, one Friday he died, didn't he die? He died. They whipped him all night long with a cat of nine tails. They beat him till his back looked like raw meat. They marched him up the Via Dolorosa to a mountain called Calvary. And the songwriter said that when he looked at that hill, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross. Can I help you today? That cross doesn't look like this cross. That cross 
didn't look like this cross, but the songwriter said it was the emblem of suffering and shame. But I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of poor sinners was slain. They hung him high, they stretched him wide, he dropped his head, and then he died. He died. Can I preach it like my daddy would preach it? He died. Didn't he die? From the sixth to the ninth hour. He died. Didn't he die? Until the angels' tears fell like stars from heaven. He died. Until the elders in heaven cast down their crowns around the glassy sea in glory. He died until the temple was torn apart and the veil was rent in two. He died until all the disciples fled. He died until wasn't nobody there but his mother. He died until they gambled over his garments. He died until the Roman soldier said, surely this must be the Son of God. Is there anybody here that knows he died? He died until they took a spear to make sure he was really dead. And they took that spear, and the spear went in his side. And the Bible says that blood and water came out of his side. It was blood for the cleansing from sin. And it was water for the washing until sanctification. Those songwriters said, God help me. I feel like preaching here. I got to quit, but I didn't got happy. The songwriters say, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the waters and the blood from thy wounded side which flows be of sin a double cue. Save from wrath and make me pure. Is there anybody here that knows he died? He died. Died. He died. He died. But that's not how the story is. Because three days later, he rose again. But y'all know how he did it, don't you? He didn't just get up in the middle of the night. He didn't get up in the evening time. He didn't get up after a late lunch at lunchtime. He didn't even get up at brunch time. But the old preacher would say, Early, early, early Sunday morning, he got up from the grave with all, all power in his hands. Look at somebody and say he lives, he lives, he lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Now this is your turn now. I dare you, wherever you are, to give him a praise. Like you're glad that he woke up on a Sunday morning. I said give him a praise. Like you're glad that he died for you. I said lift up your head. Oh ye gates and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. I was playing at first, I didn't get happy for real now. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. I said praise him. Praise him now, like he got up. Praise him now, like because he got up. You're going to get up 
from your troubles. You're going to get up from your pain. You're going to rise. Yeah. You're going to rise. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, you don't have to stay there. But because God got up, you can get up. Look at somebody and say, neighbor, I know you're tired of me, but after this, I'm not going to bother you anymore. I just got to tell you, if you want to know why I shout, look at him and tell him. Say, neighbor, if you want to know why I shout, I only got 10 reasons why I give him the glory on an Easter. I only got 10 reasons why I shout on an Easter Sunday. Reason number one, because he got up. Reason number two, because he got up. Reason number three, because he got up. Reason number four, hey, it's because he got up. Reason number five, it's because he got up. Reason number six, it's because he got up. Reason number seven, because he got up. Reason number eight, because he got up. Reason number nine, because he got up. Can you help me? Do you know? What my tenth reason is, if you know it, don't make me say it. But if you believe he got up, help a young preacher preach. Open up your mouth, throw your head back, and say, yeah. Say, yeah. Say, yeah. Say, yeah. He got up, and he didn't get up with just some power. He didn't just get up with a piece of the power. But all my uncles are preachers. And my Uncle Lee would say, he got up with all power. Not electrical power. Not hydraulic power. Not hydro power. Not solar power. Not diesel power. But all power in heaven and earth is in his hands. Is there anybody here that's glad about it? I dare you to give him a praise like you believe he's got power. I said like you believe he's got power. Like you believe he's got power. I think I got one more with me. Like you believe that he's got power. Look at somebody and say he's got power. 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 Come on, praise him. Praise him for every yoke that he's destroying. Praise him because you got a Monday to face when you can leave out of here. Praise him. If he defeated death, then he can defeat every enemy in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah.